I'm Pam Ross, The Culturalist. I love good conversations with interesting people. In this podcast, we use the art of conversation to explore what's happening in culture. Thanks for joining us. Hey, what's up, family? Welcome to our second SOAR session here at the Culturalist Podcast. My name is Pam Ross, and I am a trainer and consultant with over two decades of experience, really specializing in the areas of leadership development and team building. And generally, for the Culturalist Podcast, we have conversations with Pam Ross, but these SOAR sessions are pretty new. I have to admit, I'm really liking them. Just an opportunity for me and you to kind of talk and share some strategies, share some opportunities, share some advice and some resources. And today, I want to talk to you about this very simple topic that great leaders can learn from anybody. Now, depending on how old you are, you might remember there was a Saturday Night Live skit where uh, the comedian Chris Farley, he played a motivational speaker and uh, his name was Matt Foley. <laughs> Some of us are, you're, you're laughing already. His name was Matt Foley and Matt, to say the least, uh, for it to be a motivational speaker, his life was a little un. Uh, stable. He was 35. He was divorced and he lived in a van down by the river. In fact, like that was his, his name. That was his slogan. That was his tagline. Hi, I'm Matt Foley and I live in a van down by the river. You got it. You got to check it out. Maybe we'll drop the link in here so y'all can see it. So he was a motivational speaker and he spoke mainly to high school kids. And of course, the center message of all of his TED Talks was about how not to end up like him living in a van down by the river. So this bit got huge laughs on Saturday Night Live, but it also serves as a powerful reminder that great leaders can learn from absolutely anybody. You know, when we study Leaders who have won, they inspire us. And when we study leaders who have taken their lumps, they can become case studies for us. One of my favorite books, I really, really love this book. If you haven't read it, I recommend this resource to you. It's called How the Mighty Fall. And it's written by Jim Collins, J James Collins, I think is, is how he goes by James Collins. And the name of it is How the Mighty Fall. And what he does is he takes some case studies of some pretty flourishing, large organizations who fell and fell hard. His company does research and statistics. Really, I like to look at him as a statistician because he brings you such brilliant data that helps you align the culture of your organization as a culturalist. I really recommend this book. But the, um, the book is called How the Mighty Fall. And James found that there are five things in a cycle that he saw in every single one of these case studies. And the first one is, hubris born of success. So your success, and this interesting, could be the trigger to your failure if you enter into hubris. Now, hubris, before we get our dictionary.com out, is, you know, an undue puffed up pride, being overly prideful. And the reason why that pride is dangerous is it will cause you to feel like you can downshift and the effort, the momentum, the energy that you put into uh, getting that success, you'll feel like you don't have to give it what you gave it. 
we had to like, for example, a restaurant that had to give excellent service because you were brand new and you wanted to give your clients, your customers, a wonderful experience. Well, once people discovered how amazing your food is and you've got lines out the door and reservations for weeks and weeks, suddenly you kind of feel like y'all should be lucky to be here. Y'all should be happy to be here. And so there's a hubris that's born of success where you feel like the effort that we used to give we don't have to give that anymore. So that's step one. The second thing they found was an undisciplined pursuit of more. Um, you know, we've heard this phrase. Have y'all heard this phrase? Put thorns in, in your laurels, meaning don't rest on your laurels. When you get a big victory, ah, don't, don't sit back and relax and decide, you know, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to just rest on those laurels. Actually, that's not what most companies do. Most companies, most organizations, when you are winning and you got pride and you feel like this thing is on AUT-O-Matic, right? They feel like, well, let's do more. Well, we can do more. We can do more. We can open 15 restaurants. We're so amazing. And so you have an undisciplined, doesn't mean you shouldn't do more, but you have an undisciplined pursuit of more. And you, if you follow me, and especially if you've read, you're ready to fly, you know that word discipline means to cut. So they're adding without cutting. Mm, yeah, you're adding more things without cutting old things. So number one, hubris. Number two, uh, undisciplined pursuit of more. You just get greedy. Let's do it all. Let's do it all. Let's do it all. Number three is you a denial of danger or peril. So you begin to silence the wise voices in your organization, those that have the courage to speak up and say, hey, I think we better double check this or have the courage to say, hey, I don't think this is a good deal for us right now. Maybe we shouldn't go into that much debt in this season with these interest rates. You deny that. You feel like, ah, oh, they're being a negative Nelly and we don't have to listen to them because after all, we got it going on, right? So number four, uh, once, once you deny, now this is a bad part, once you deny that there's danger, what happens? You fall into danger. If you deny there's a hole there, you fall into the hole. And then to get out of the hole, these companies, these organizations went to number four. And number four was a grasp for the savior. This is going to be the one big thing. We look for that one big fix that we do this one big thing and that's going to fix it all. That's going to bring us back on top. Uh, I was working for an organization once that had, um, they did a ladies event and it was huge. And then the next year, uh, when it, we did the same event and the numbers were a little bit lower, but what concerned me was the people that came the previous year, um, only 30% of those people came back. So 70% of the people that came the second year were brand new. And I, it alarmed me because the first year was free. So I thought people that came last year for free, were offering it again for free. They're not coming back, which means they don't even think it's worth their time. So I'm trying to ring a bell and I was, they were in denial. So, so they were looking for what's a one big thing we can do. Let's get a big irresistible speaker. That person's going to come, you know, and that person's going to ring the bell, but, or, or that person's going to be the savior and it didn't work. And that has a tendency to happen because if you deny that there's a problem, you won't investigate and get to the bottom, the brass tacks of that problem. You won't say, gee, I wonder why 70% of the people that came last year didn't. Let's email them. Let's do a focus group. Let's find out. 
uh, what it is that they want and how we can better serve them. But if you deny that the problem is there, you want to investigate the problem. So when it's time to fix it, you're probably not even going to be addressing the elephant in the room. You're just going to uh, let's just get a whole lot of frosting on top of this cake, but the cake is not what the people want. So yes, that's what happened. So remember, number one, hubris, born of pride. Number two, undisciplined pursuit of more. Number three, denial of, of um, peril or danger. Number four is we go for the big fix. And number five, unfortunately, is a capitulation into irrelevance. And then of course, death. So not saying that um, when the big fix doesn't work, you can make a U-turn. You could really make a U-turn at any one of those uh, states. But um, if the big fix doesn't work and you don't make a U-turn, you'll become irrelevant. And sometimes that happens and organizations blame their supporters and their people. But the point of it is you can learn. I learned so much just from looking at failures. <laughs> You learn so much from looking at what didn't go right for others, uh, which means that, you know, you can always learn from people. Uh, great leaders can learn from anyone. Even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are stories of kings who followed God and brought God's people into prosperity and safety and peace. And then there are stories of people, of kings who went their own way and maybe followed greed or, or whatever they followed or followed fear. And they ended up leading their people into slavery, captivity, and sometimes even death and disease. So you can always learn regardless of who you're, you're talking to. The key is to recognize a learning opportunity when you encounter it. Now, I have a story to tell you. I was in um, out of town. And I had, I was having lunch with my niece and I encountered a leader who I'd, I had not met someone like this in a long time, but I encountered a leader who really did not believe he needed to learn from anyone. So here's what happened. I was at a restaurant and uh, having lunch with my niece. I had just arrived in her city and there was a couple sitting across the restaurant from us and the couple got up to leave. And um, the husband made a beeline towards our table. And he looked at me and even kind of pointed at me and said, hey, do I know you? And I said, uh, I don't think we've met, but you may know me from, and before I could finish my sentence, I was going to say to him, uh, you, I was going to ask if perhaps he had uh, attended a conference or something where I had been I had participated in because I had just participated in a conference for pastors and I thought maybe this guy is a pastor. So he says, you know, do I know you? And I said, I don't think we've met, but you may have attended. And then he said, are you a pastor? <laughs> are you a pastor? And I said, no, I'm not a pastor. I'm a consultant and trainer and I work with a lot of, and then before I could finish that sentence, his wife said, uh, a consultant? and looks at her husband and says, you need to get her information, right? So I was gonna, I was gonna say, I was gonna finish my sentence again and say, uh, I'm a consultant and trainer and I work with a lot of pastors, but his wife was very excited and I forgive her for that because I interrupt people when I'm excited. So I, I never quite got my full sentence out. But when she said to him, you need to get her information, he looked at his wife and said, why would I do that? And then he pointed his finger in the 
sky, like in the air. And he said, I have a direct connect with God. And so I'm my, by this time, my eyebrows are up very high. My niece looks a little bit annoyed, but uh, and so when he said, you know, I have a direct connect with God. And then he looks at me and he says, she can get your information referring to his wife. And then he turned and walked away just as quickly as he had walked up to our table. Now I'm going to tell you, I kind of felt like, uh, I felt like that the motivational speaker, like I was a guy who lived in a van down by the river. <laughs> I felt completely dismissed. I wanted to holler after him and say, Hey buddy, I never, you came up to my table and interrupted my lunch and I never offered you my information. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But I didn't want to yell after him because of course we're in a restaurant, but also I noticed that his wife was still standing there. Like she had not moved and she seemed very unaffected by uh, his behavior. This lady, she asked me um, about the type of work that I do. And then she asked me what I was doing in town. She asked about my niece who had in fact visited her church. She invited my niece to come back to her church and this time to ask for her personally. And then lastly, she did ask if I had a card. I don't have a card. I don't use paper cards, but I did give her my electronic um, card. After she left, I asked my niece what she thought of their church when she visited. Sadly, she said, I've been there. I won't be back. I thought, oh no, she just said it. So very matter of fact, now my niece is a very matter of fact woman, but she said it very matter of factly. And sadly, that same smartest person in the room vibe that we got from that gentleman is what she felt when she was in that ministry. And, you know, I believe that the culture is set by the visionary. And so that's what she felt. And so uh, my niece was not surprised by his behavior. I asked her, I said, wasn't that shocking? She said, no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I was very, very surprised. But the, but the wonderful thing about being able to learn from anyone is that she and I finished our lunch and we had an amazing conversation about what it's like to work with a leader because she was in a leadership position in her previous work. And I'm someone who trains leaders and teaches team building. And so we have this beautiful conversation about what it must be like to work for someone who has a direct connect. I'm pointing my finger up in the sky if you're listening to this, who had a direct connect. And we came up with um, three really good questions. I think there's three. The first one is, if your leader has a quote unquote direct connect, can you disagree with that leader without disagreeing with God? If everything that leader says and knows is directly from God, can you really disagree with that leader without disagreeing with God? And if you have follow-up question, this is one point A. <laughs> if you have a leader who you can't disagree with, how do you ensure that leader's safety is a part of being on that team is to, is to ensure your leader gets to where he's going safely. All right. Question number one. Question number two is, can innovation and creativity come from anyone on the team or does it have to come from his direct connect? And if he doesn't get a validation from his direct connect from your uh, idea, does your innovation even carry any weight in the room?
Hmm. Good question. Number three is do the members of his church, do they have that same direct connect and thus they don't really need him? <laughs> like if, if you're the person that, hey, I'm the one that hears, but if they hear as well, does that mean they don't need you? Like you don't need anyone? We had a good long conversation about that. Like once people, is it to the advantage of a leader that their people believe that they are the only one? No shade or shame to anyone who's Catholic. But when I was a young, 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 young Christian, many, many years ago, say it, it was many, many years ago, uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was not in church, was really kind of leaning towards agnosticism and um, but was raised Catholic. And she said to me, you know, my issue with the church is that they believe that the Pope actually hears from God. And I said to her, well, my issue is they believe he's the only one. <laughs> so if your leader is the only one, yeah. But if you hear as well, does that mean you even need him? Like, how does that relationship work? That's question number three. And then the fourth question was the one that was really juicy for us. We said, why did his wife get so excited? Before I could finish my sentence, remember, I said, no, I'm a consultant and trainer. And she said, consultant. She got so excited. Her body language opened up. Um, she's looking at him saying, you, you, honey, you should get her information. What, what did she see? What does she see about the health of the organization that perhaps he doesn't see? And is he a naked emperor? Now, if you don't know what I mean by naked emperor, uh, there's a story, a child, it's a, I think it's a children's story, and we tell it in the book, Get Ready to Fly. I highly recommend it, written by Pam Ross. <laughs> and uh, we tell the story in um, Get Ready to Fly of the Naked Emperor, where there is an emperor who uh, is wants to be the best and he is especially the best dressed. And so uh, these, these um, con men come into his kingdom and they say that they're gonna make him a beautiful outfit, but they're going to use fat, this special fabric. And the fabric is so special that only people of the highest breed and of the highest quality and the highest class of people can even see the fabric. If you don't see this fabric, it's an indication of what kind of person you are. You are of a lower standard. And so they pull out these rolls of fabric that no one can see. And the emperor pretends like, oh, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Look at it, how fabulous it is. And all of the people around him start saying, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's great, right? So they're all getting in agreement because they're all protecting their image. And so they are sewing these con men or they're sewing and sewing on the sewing machine. And they put on this invisible fabric, uh, this invisible suit, and the, tell the emperor how wonderful he is and how beautiful he looks. They tell this emperor he looks so good that um, the emperor uh, then decides he's going to walk in a parade down the middle of his town. <laughs> <laughs> so he's walking in the parade in this invisible suit, wearing absolutely nothing, naked as the day he was born. And all of the townspeople are pretending like they see it. They're pretending, oh, it's so nice. And there he is naked as a newborn baby. And it takes a little baby. It takes a child to say, 
look at the emperor, he's naked. And so we use that phrase of being a naked emperor when you have been sold a bill of goods and you think that all is well in the kingdom and it's really, uh, it's really not. And so maybe those around you can tell you that it is, but you just choose not to believe it. So my niece and I had a wonderful lunch kind of discussing those four things. And uh, we concluded that it may have been God that led him over to our table, but it was his direct connect <laughs> that had him run away as quickly as he possibly could. We laughed about some people will insist on being the smartest person in the room, even if they have to leave the room to do it. But we also concluded that maybe it wasn't just us to point fingers at him and say he missed an opportunity to learn. We wanted to make sure we didn't miss our opportunity to learn. And so we had to have that conversation to say, we can learn from anybody. We can learn from people who we think are doing it great and people who we would advise to do it um, maybe better. One of the things I often say about leaders is that you are always listening. Great leaders, always listening, always learning, always leading. And we do that by listening to our team members. You do that by learning from others. You do that even by bringing in outside voices, consultants just like me or somebody else to say, hey, take a look at what I'm doing and this is where I'm trying to go. Give me your advice. So if you've got a question for me, um, if you've got often, you know, I offer these 15 minute discovery calls and I love them. We often go over, but I love them. Get an opportunity to meet leaders from all over the world and talk to them about where they're trying to go and how um, is the best route for them to get there. Just remember that leaders are listeners. Leaders are learners. And that's what's going to cause us to lead well. Be willing to learn from everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on our second source session. I hope you learned something. And uh, always remember, you set the culture. Catch me on social media at PR the Builder. Visit me online at pamross.com. Catch you next time.